0: Uh, But today, let me ask you, uh, with God's help, to turn now your attention to the reading of Scripture from Matthew 2 and the preaching of the Word as uh, as we look again at this story of the visit of the wise men. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we give you thanks for the riches of your grace toward us in Jesus Christ. And we pray, Lord, now for the blessing of your Holy Spirit to grant us spiritual wisdom and illumination. Open our hearts, we pray. Speak to us, we pray, from your word that we might all the more bow down before him whom you have given to us as our Savior and Lord, even Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. I will be reading the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, in its entirety. This is the Word of God. It is written. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, "'Where is he who has been born king of the Jews?' two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt saying, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. And now to him who loves us, who has freed us from our sins by his blood, to Jesus Christ be all praise, honor, glory, dominion, forever and ever. Amen. Now, dear brothers and sisters, In our contemporary culture so often, the the stories of Christmas are are painted in a somewhat pastel and sentimental and sugary and sweet fashion. But when we read the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, we can see that the story of Jesus' birth is actually portrayed, painted, as it were, against a very, very dark backdrop of human and demonic evil. What's also clear is that from the very beginning of Jesus' life, he was a very divisive character. As um, Simeon said, this child is... appointed for the rising and fall of many in Israel and, by extension, throughout the world. A stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and it begins right here. Of course, it becomes clear with His crucifixion, but it begins right here here at the very beginning of his earthly life, in his infancy, and in his childhood. And did you notice, over and over and over again in chapter 2, Matthew refers to Jesus as the child, the child, the child. Highlighting the dangerous, precarious situation in which his life was thrust from the very beginning. We we see clearly in the way the genius, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. Writing through Matthew, we have this contrast of the king and the child. And, and, And we might think because of the way we see the Christmas cards and so forth. I'm not against Christmas cards, but you get the point. Um, That the visit of the Magi and the account of Herod's uh, demonic wrath are, are two different stories, but they're not. They're one story, and that's what I want you to see. That's why I read Matthew 2 in its entirety. They are connected. They are related to one another. When King Herod found out from the Magi, the wise men, that a star had signaled the birth of the Messiah, he asked, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? That is to say, the Magi asked that question, came to Jerusalem from the east, probably Persia, that is modern day Iran, Iraq, Mesopotamia, came all the way, a long journey some time had passed, as we see noted in Matthew, with, the, uh, with the, the scourge upon the male children two years and younger. We have a time lapse here. This is not the night Jesus was born. It took them a while to come from the east. And the point is, as these wise men, these astrologers from Mesopotamia, came to find Jesus in order to worship Him, Herod wanted to find Him in order to kill Him. Now there it is. There's the division. And that's the way it has run throughout world history ever since. Ever since. Those who seek Him to worship Him and those who seek Him to kill Him. The same is true today. And there is no neutrality. And benign neglect, there's no such thing. Neutrality is hatred. Deny him in every way. Put him away. Get rid of him out of our consciousness, out of our public uh, awareness. Just put him away. Get rid of him. Get rid of him now. Now, this shows us the way in which these two events are connected. Matthew, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to see that the birth of Jesus Christ immediately brought the world into spiritual conflict, a division which would play itself out not only in Jesus' earthly ministry, but throughout history until Jesus Christ comes again. Now, the wise men and King Herod, of course, were historical people, real people, Their responses were real, but they stand as a kind of symbolic portrayal for us. For everyone, for all humanity throughout history until Christ comes again, in terms of response to Jesus Christ, love him or hate him, adore him or abhor him, worship him or wage war against him. It is the ongoing drama of world history. And so, in a way, at a personal level, Matthew is asking us to identify ourselves in this story. Do we rejoice with exceedingly great joy at the news that there is a king, there's a real king, whom we are called to worship and to adore, before whom we are called to bow and prostrate ourselves in submission? and happily open the treasure boxes of our lives for the offering of our most costly gifts? Do you personally recognize and receive Jesus Christ as the rightful, true King over your life, your Savior, whose word is your command? Or do you fly into a fit of rage at the very idea, the very idea that someone else has the right and the authority to sit upon the throne of your life? In other words, is the good news of the gospel that Jesus is the Son of God and the true King, is that good news? Is it good news or is it bad news? Because to some people it is very bad news. Does it move you to adore him or to despise him? Now, that's, that's the application at the personal level. And the, the question must be answered. On a larger scale, on the scale of world history, the, the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, are showing us that from the very beginning, the spiritual powers of darkness, the invisible, demonic realm, were exercising their influence through wicked men, evil governments, and social forces. And it's true to this day. Opposition to the kingdom of God will continue to rail and rebel against God's kingdom on earth with a hatred that seeks to silence God's word and to overthrow His kingdom and to kill, as it were, Jesus Christ. Every human government tends toward this kind of idolatry and demonic lust for power. And this conflict is seen not only in Matthew's gospel, but also in Luke's. And Luke's gospel, you know, we see the contrast between two savior kings. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Well, Caesar Augustus was the Supposed son of God, that's what he claimed to be. He, and the savior of the world, that's what he claimed to be. Who supposedly brought peace on earth. The Pax Romana. It was all about Caesar Augustus. Son of God, savior of the world. Who brings peace on earth. You can, you can hear Luke's irony bashing that idolatry in that beautiful story of Luke chapter 2. And likewise... On the other hand, you see in Luke 2, we have the true Son of God, the true Savior King, Christ the Lord, born in the city of David in fulfillment of prophecy, through whom indeed the God of Israel would bring the peace of his everlasting kingdom. So in Luke, you have these, these, these contrasting characters. In the Gospel of Matthew, we see the contrast between two kings also, King Herod. Herod was from a family that had been heavily involved in the politics of Judea for some time, going back to Julius Caesar. And the Roman Senate had appointed Herod as the so-called king of the Jews, even though Herod was not really a a Jew, certainly not a king. He was just a puppet set up by Rome over the Jews in Judea. And, And Herod the Great was a madman. He was a diabolical murderer, ruthless ruler, who ordered not only the slaughter of these infants around Bethlehem, but he also ordered the executions of his wife and his sons in order to protect his position of power. That's the kind of evil into which the child was born and immediately thrust. So there's one king of the Jews, Herod the Great. And the other king of the Jews is a true Jew. As Matthew tells us in the very first verse of his gospel, Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the true Jew, the true king. So Matthew is contrasting the supposed king of the Jews, Herod the Great, and the true king of the Jews, Jesus. And the point here is this. When we read Matthew and Luke, as they really wrote it in their historical context, we immediately realize that the birth of Jesus immediately incited this spiritual warfare. This is about power encounter, the conflict, confrontation between the kingdom of God and the invisible powers and principalities. And at stake in the birth of Jesus are these very questions. Who really rules the world? Who really reigns over all things. Who is the true king? Again, it's not simply a question concerning first century history. It's a question very relevant to our lives. When we read Matthew and Luke, we see the assurance of the sovereignty of God over all world affairs, over all rulers, through Jesus Christ. Uh, Matthew and Luke present these accounts of Jesus' birth and the events afterward. And they call us to place our faith in the true and living God who sovereignly rules the world and moves through history with his purpose of redeeming redeeming the world over and above all the dark powers of this world. He continues to do that this very day. But for example, you see, Luke tells us that God revealed his sovereignty over all of world history as as he used Caesar Augustus as he ruled in and through and over the decree of Caesar Augustus so that Caesar's exercise of imperial power, oppressive power, actually brought about the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy, that the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem. Caesar wasn't in control. God was in control. Matthew tells us that God revealed his sovereign rule over nature, causing the alignment of planets or a supernova to appear to these astrologers in the east so that they would see the sign of the birth of the king of the Jews. It's it's showing God's sovereignty. Contrast this, this sovereign power now being revealed in and through this little child. And and it's it's the promise of the gospel that we see being fulfilled in the visit of the Magi, the wise men in the midst of the darkness and the hatred and the rebellion against God and rejection of Jesus by Herod. We see the power of the gospel drawing these Gentile Magi to worship and bow down to Jesus Christ. What Matthew wants us to see in this is the world coming to worship Jesus Christ, to worship Him. The wise men, these astrologers from the East, were not Israelites, they were not Jews, they were Gentiles, they pagans from a faraway land, far away, both physically and spiritually. But they knew the prophecy recorded in numbers 24. Given by Balaam, a Gentile soothsayer in the time of Moses, who spoke prophetically of the Savior king of israel numbers twenty four seventeen A star shall come out of Jacob, and a sceptre shall rise out of Israel, spoken by a Gentile soothsayer, spoken during the time of Moses and the Israelites in the wilderness, but this prophecy had been preserved even among the Gentile pagan astrologers of Mesopotamia, and perhaps reinforced because when the Jews were carried off to Babylon, they carried with them the scriptures and this remembered prophecy. So you see how God moves in history. It's it's amazing to see how God continues to work out his plan for the redemption of the world over the centuries. And so by the light of this star and the inward illumination of the holy spirit the the Magi were led to Jesus Christ they fell down before him and they worshiped him and Matthew wants us to see even there in Bethlehem when Jesus was just a baby he was even then drawing all men to himself that is, people from every tribe and tongue and nation for whom he would give his life on the cross. And the visit of the Magi was a fulfillment of prophecy. How how many times do we have Matthew telling us about the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy right here in chapter 2? We read earlier for our call to worship, Isaiah chapter sixty. Nations, meaning the Gentile nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Magi in the hymn are referred to as kings. Actually, they were probably ambassadors of their king. But it was the beginning of the fulfillment of the prophecy and a prophecy of things yet to come, a prophecy that's still being fulfilled today because here we are, here we are, 2021. Congregation of Gentiles worshiping Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel. You see, it's a prophetic picture of people from all nations bowing down before Jesus Christ. A dramatic illustration of John 3.16. For God so loved the world, Jew and Gentile, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, Jew or Gentile, should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, the Magi represent the world. They represent these, the people of every tribe and tongue and nation who receive and believe in Jesus Christ as Savior and King. They represent you and me. And therefore, the visit of the Magi was a prophetic foreshadowing of, of, of all the world coming. And it's, it's important for us to see that we're, we're, we're part of that. We must never forget our calling as Christians, followers of Jesus. We're called to be now the light of the world as reflecting Him, the true light of the world. We're called to let our light shine in this dark world. And we're called to do all that we can to fulfill the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations, and that includes the nation of the United States of America. We talk about missions. It's not about foreign nations only. I mean, the United States of America is a foreign nation. and We need to realize that. It's very important for us to see the connection between the visit of the Magi, the nations coming to Jesus at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. Now, you want to make a note? Make a note about this. At the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, what do you have? You have the nations, the Magi coming to Jesus. What do you have at the end of the Gospel of Matthew? You have Jesus, risen from the dead, sending forth his disciples to make disciples of all nations. You see how that works? But this is the Magi, really foreshadows the sending out of the disciples into the world. And Jesus sends us today as well to bring the message of God's redeeming grace and mercy to a dark and brutal world in which the evil powers and principalities are still at work. So, this is the goal of history. This is what has been revealed to us that the earth should be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, and that every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, dear friends, let our worship be not merely a matter of what we do on Sunday or say with our lips. Let us look to the wise men and understand that true worship is the offering of our lives into the service of the true King every day. True worship is the commitment of our loyalty, our homage, our obedience, our adoration, and our worship of the new king, the true king. As you begin this new year with your your own personal priorities, resolutions, and goals, you begin the new year with your family, we begin a new year as a congregation. Let us make first things first. To seek Jesus Christ in order to worship him as our true King, and to open up the treasure boxes of our hearts, not in a sentimental fashion, but in a real and costly and self-sacrificial fashion, giving ourselves, all of ourselves to Him for the glory of His name. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, We thank you for the glorious gospel of your Son, Jesus Christ, and for all that you have done for us through him, all that he has done for us in his life and death and resurrection and now does for us even now at your right hand as our intercessor. We praise you, O Holy Spirit, that you have called us out of darkness and into the marvelous light of Jesus Christ and brought us into a true and saving relationship with Him. and We we ask You, dear Lord, dear Father, Holy Spirit, You would increase in us uh, the gift of faith this year and help us to live in a way that honors You and pleases You in accordance with Your Word, to the glory of Your name. Amen. In response to the gospel of Jesus Christ, let us stand and affirm our faith in the words of the Philippian Creed, based on Philippians chapter two. Christians, in whom do you believe? We believe in Christ Jesus, though He was. In not count equality with God they can be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, and given him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow. heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen.